welcome to Textual Healing. I'm your host, Mallory Smart. In today's episode, I got a chance to speak with Duncan Birmingham. In this episode, we talk about his latest projects, L.A., jam bands, and what kind of music he'd put on a playlist for his latest book, The Cult in My Garage. I hope you enjoy the show. This is exciting. Very exciting. Not really. You're just talking to me. I'm a very boring person. I don't buy that for a second. You're going to Turkey. You're going to L.A. You're putting out books. You're running a press. Yeah, I'm drinking coffee that's really, like, punny. It's Army of Chocolate Darkness. Mmm. Yeah. That sounds great. You're living the dream. Hell yes, I am. Booyah. Yeah. And my Spotify playlist is all fucked up because I got engaged, and my boyfriend and I are trying to be like, what's our song? So now we're just fucking with each other, sending each other songs. So, yeah. Uh, don't bury the lead. Congratulations. That's great. Thank you. Thank you. When did that, when did that happen? Um, in between the Turkey trip, we made a side trip to Greece and we did it in Athens. So that was fun. Oh, awesome. Okay. Is, I mean, is this, uh, is this news out there? Is this, is this breaking on the podcast? I feel like it's not and that this is already out there. I just didn't know. Uh, I didn't announce it really. I, I had to announce it on Facebook because my sister found out and her being the Gen Xer that she is, she announced it on her Facebook and I was like, God damn it. We weren't going to put it on social media, but then I started getting congratulations from people that I barely even knew. And I was like, oh, okay, I guess I'm just going to have to do it there. <laughs> okay. Okay. So it's, uh, it sounds like it's, a, all right. Uh, let's, let's say it's a mild exclusive. It makes me feel special um all right i'm glad the uh the gen x uh crapping on has started because that's what i am and i felt like this podcast was there might be some ageism kind of baked into our conversation (laughs) you know what's funny is actually i want to say majority (laughs) of my guests tend to be gen x and damn you all listen to the same music i mean can we get some diversity please like (laughs) Don't tell me that all you listen to is grunge or Pearl Jam and shit. Give me something fresh. Something I wouldn't uh, have heard of uh, in the Woodstock 99 documentary. Oh, oh that's, that's, uh, that documentary was great. Uh, well, yeah, definitely not listening to too much Pearl Jam, but I do feel like grunge was, you know, kind of my bread and butter. Um, I have a playlist for the book. I guess we'll get into that later, but I do also feel a little insecure as an older person on the podcast, I feel like music is the uh, music is kind of like the Achilles heel or the telltale sign when you're a middle-aged person of the fact that you are middle-aged. Maybe I'm just a little insecure because I listened to (laughs) your podcast, which was very great where you discussed my story, black car. And I was (laughs) like, wow, I guess my story is a little more retro than maybe I even thought it was. Um, There are phrases in there that I use that um, I don't think of as as antiquated, I guess, as they... (laughs) To be fair, ever since I've been saying, let's get down to brass tacks to people. Oh, good, good. I'm I'm making it come back, at least in Chicago. All right, all right. Yeah, I definitely use that one. I mean, other things like 
you know, he says red-handed. Certainly, I I was more aware of that. And I mean, I, it's not worth getting into because no one's read the story. But the, the, there is a retro <laughs> element to it. It was just leaned into a little more than I than I realized. But uh, that's why it was so fun to listen to the podcast. Yeah, I was a little nervous about that. I mean. I was supposed to be on that podcast like months ago and then I got busy mm. and then the podcast like they he decided not to do it anymore and then he was just like, Oh, I'm gonna do a comeback. Get your ass on the podcast. And I was originally going to discuss a Megan Boyle story, I think is what we decided. Yeah. And I was mm. rereading your collection because I don't know I do that when I'm planning out the promotion from for other books and I was like, Let's look back to the last book. So yeah. That was fun. I like that right, story. So it's Megan, probably my favorite. Megan got bumped. Yep, she got bumped. I remember bumped. you said that, and I, I think I, I moved it up in the book because you said that, and then it became one of my favorite stories, although it would only take one person coming out and saying something else was their favorite to maybe get it reshuffled in my mind. But, um, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I really liked uh, that you liked the story. Um, yeah, I feel like it's very cinematic. And um, when you guys were talking about Paul Thomas Anderson, I was like, oh, I'm going to send them the, the picture of this other Easter egg, the, the bar name I snuck in there, only realizing too late that I had reversed the name of the bar and called it the, the Firefox Bar when it's the um, Was it Fox, Fox Fire? Fire Bar. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. We definitely yeah. had a good but, uh, time anyway, talking uh, about uh, that. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, a lot of a uh, lot of Andersisms in there. Does that bar still exist, or um, it still exists? I've never been there. Um, it's a little far away from me. I'm usually not out um, drinking in the valley that often. But um, I remember I used to work on a show, and we were talking about maybe filming there. That didn't happen. I, I need to make a trip out there. Um, it definitely still exists. I don't know how it's doing during the pandemic, but. Um, yeah, it's it's around. Um, and when I think of the valley, I don't know. Paul Thomas Anderson is such the such the voice of the valley. I guess that was a, another part of it in writing that story, which takes place in the valley. Uh, he was kind of on my mind. I was just realizing because I just did a horror cast episode with uh, D.T. Robbins, and he lives in Inland Empire. Is that by the valley? I've noticed that a lot of my like listeners don't know California that well. Uh, and even uh, and I'm, I'm going to show my ignorance. I, I I think Inland Empire is a different valley. Um, I'm probably wrong. I think the Valley Valley is the San Fernando Valley, and then Inland Empire. Uh, I hope I have this right. Is is part of Riverside. Um, I've spent very little time in, in Inland Empire. That's kind of, uh, yeah, I don't drive through there that much. And the David Lynch movie didn't give me that many insights into it. So uh, I've got a lot to learn about that that area for sure. After I had coffee with you in L.A., I was going to meet up with D.T. Robbins, and he told me where he was. And I was just like, you're in a David Lynch movie? What? Like, where the fuck is this? And yeah, I didn't know it was a real place. <laughs> So no, um, we didn't. It's a great name, Inland Empire. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, that's. I mean, whenever someone I know comes to visit 
LA and like on their tour guide, they're always like, I can't believe how do you handle this traffic and all this driving? And, and I usually tell them that, well, the only reason we're doing all this driving is because I'm showing you around, you know, you kind of s- split the city up in your own neighborhood and I stay in my neighborhood and I'm usually not zipping up to Malibu or the Getty Museum or like the beach and four or five different places all in a day. So yeah, there's a lot to explore out here, but I'm I'm sorry. I know you. Yeah, the the city smelled a little uh, tinkly for you. <laughs> not to keep bringing <laughs> back the other podcast, but I was like, oh, does it smell like? Does LA smell like piss? I guess it does. Well, were you here? This was the summer, right? Yeah, it was the summer. Okay, and that's high piss. I would also say, stink. yeah, yeah. It was definitely. I always thought I would want to live in LA, and now I'm just like, it didn't smell like piss in the area we were staying. We were in Hollywood Hills mainly. Mm-hmm. But yeah, once we like stepped out of that area, we were like, my God, people say this place is glamorous. Not so much. Well, I, I won't. I could spend the whole podcast trying to sell you on LA because I do love it. But um, yeah, it's uh, it, it takes some getting used to. But I'm a big fan. I have never been to Chicago, and that's on my list for the next uh, yeah next year or so. Got to get there. Here See, that's a fun thing. I actually think Chicago's a little overrated. I'm always very shocked when people are like, oh, Chicago's awesome. Maybe it's just because I've been here my whole life. Are you from L.A.? Like, were you born there? No, I'm, I'm from Boston. I also lived in Florida. Um, try and keep the Florida on the DL. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, mostly from Boston. But I've been here forever. I've been here since 2000. So the first 10 years I was the newbie it felt like fresh-faced newbie and then I like hit year 10 and there was no middle ground I just became like grizzled LA vet I dig it I dig it yeah so what drew you to LA it's probably the same Um, answer everybody has but go on Uh, yeah, the exact same answer, uh, that, uh, you know, I had stars in my eyes and I wanted to write for the movies. I also wrote fiction. So I had this plan. I was going to come out here. I was going to write for the movies and I'd be working on my novel at the same time. And then someone would want to adapt my novel into a movie then because I was at the time very into new England. I mean, I still love new England. I'd move the whole base of operations, back to Boston and I'd probably be kind of like by coastal and yeah, I had a whole, whole plan, whole plan. But, um, yeah, the first year was rough and then I liked it a lot and I've stayed out here and I write, I don't know, sometimes for <laughs> movies occasionally a little. Uh, so it's, uh, it's all good. It's all good. That novel didn't end up uh, happening in the world. Don't look for it. Um, but, uh, yeah. Any chances it I'm, will someday? I'm happy with the move. Uh, not that one. Uh, I look back, and I, it does have a lot of flaws. Um, I've been thinking about it recently, but it was, it was my attempt at writing, like, the Hollywood novel. So I thought I had all these smart ideas on how to flip the uh, Hollywood cliches on its head, like in this... In the novel, the writer's actually, instead of being kind of the babe in the woods, he's actually the most manipulative, backstabbing character. Um, so there are things I like about it, but um, if I liked it enough, I would try and, you know, get it out there. Uh, and I just feel like it's uh, it's a little, little too flawed. But uh, I don't know. It seemed like it came close at the time. Had some good, you know, had a good agent, took some stabs at it, just didn't get there. 
but hopefully there'll be a new novel at some point, or I guess it's not a new novel, a novel. Hopefully. Yeah. I was seeing on Twitter um, that you have writer, TV, and filmmaker. Have you been working on anything new that you could tell us about? Or? Um, uh, sure. Well, the, the big thing, or at least the big thing for me, was I um, directed a, a movie. I've been trying to put a movie together for five years, six years. Uh, so it's a horror movie, so maybe I can, you know, come on your other podcast sometime. It's a very, 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 very indie uh, horror movie. And we shot it in 12 days uh, in September. Um, it was my first time directing a, a feature, and we had a great cast um, that I'll get into at a, at a later point. And, and now we're just editing it. We're going to have a test screening on Thursday at my place for a few few people, but I'm super happy with it, and um, yeah, it was, it was crazy. It was, it was uh, a real, very wild ride, very exhausting. It was like almost all night shoots, and um, you know, there was blood, there were animals, there were children, uh, there was uh, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of elements I feel to like it. you just kind of um, add living now, blood, children. <laughs> Uh, yeah, there was a lot of stuff. Just to say that I, while it was, I'm just making the point. While it was super low budget, like we did have, you know, we had some we had some bells and whistles in the movie, um, and and hopefully hopefully people will find it uh, a little scary. I mean, it's like, also it's a very it's a very talky movie as well. Would it be like Blair Witch low budget or like Halloween low budget? Um. It would be, let's see, I'm trying to think of something a little more recent. It wouldn't be, it, it would be more low budget than, say, The Invitation, which was a, an influence. Um, mm-hmm. It'd be somewhere between Blair Witch and uh, The Invitation, uh, even though it's not a horror movie, but Cheap Thrills, if you've ever seen that, it's kind of, was yeah. kind of a comp. Um, uh, but they, you know, they, the characters do get out of the house a little more. Uh, well, actually, they're out of the house a bit in Cheap Thrills, so yeah. You know, we're we're uh, we're gonna take our shot with Sundance and South by and some other festivals and see what happens. I dig it. I'll definitely watch if it gets out to the mainstream. And All right. Well, you. I mean, Dimitri you can even watch if it doesn't get out it. to the mainstream. Yeah. Oh, nice. Okay. Is that the dynamic on the podcast? One's uh, good cop, bad cop. Yeah. You know what? I feel like he just has no joy. He doesn't love stuff. <laughs> So that that's Dimitri. He's right. bad cop towards almost everything. He's a good guy, though. I love him. Somehow he's good okay, cop towards well, me, but bad cop towards any mainstream horror movie. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, this is definitely it's definitely not mainstream. Um, it might it might be. Uh, it's very much the opposite, maybe to its detriment. This is it's definitely uh, definitely fringe. Um, then he might love yeah, it. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, it might not be horror enough for some people. That's my that's one fear. But um you know, there's some comedy, there's some drama. It's uh, it's a buffet. I mean, that's a big question I always ask people though, is really what is genre? Like what is horror? It's very subjective. So Yeah, I mean, I feel like if I see something not just a horror, any any type of genre movie and it fits a little too squarely in that box, maybe I'm not quite as satisfied. I feel like I want to see something that 
uh, kind of rides that line and checks off some of the genre boxes, but also brings something new to the table. I guess I guess I end up mostly liking things that are blends. Um, so yeah, I haven't seen the that Edgar Wright movie, um, but that sounded the most interesting thing about it because I haven't read the reviews. It sounds like it's kind of a kind of a, a hybrid. Um, and that sounded kind of exciting to me. I don't know if you've seen that or not. Mm-hmm. Believe me, okay. it's been end times. I've been doing nothing but watching movies and listening to music. So, <laughs> okay. Dune. Did you watch Dune? Oh hell yeah! Um, All right. It was very abrupt in its ending. I feel, but other than that, okay. it was great. Did All you right. see I'm it? I'm excited. I'll be go. I'll be going in clean. I'm. I didn't realize how uh, undune I was. I haven't read Dune. I haven't seen David Lynch's Dune. That's the only Lynch movie I've never seen. I. All I know is there's sand. So I'll be going in very fresh to Dune, and uh, I haven't seen it yet, but I'm excited. We had to read the book in high school, and that's the only reason I really got into it. And then also, I love David Lynch. If I haven't ever made that. St- point clear to everyone in the whole world i love david mm-hmm. lynch and coffee that might be my brand but even he hates his version of dune so <laughs> it's not really like did missing you anything okay but I, I it feels like it has its its fans i'll see i'll see how i do with this dune and then i'm going to work backwards um did you hear david lynch do the weather on oh I've the radio listening. when you were here yeah. Okay, I feel like that's a fun local joy. Although I guess you can just hear it anywhere. Um, what is your favorite Lynch movie? Ooh, that's hard because I really just think Twin Peaks is the greatest thing he's ever done. But mm. then I'm going to go to a very unpopular territory. Firewalk with me. Oh, interesting. Okay. I know. Everyone hates okay. it. But I, I just like the Twin Peak narrative and everything. So most well, people say it's the, the shittiest the, film, but yeah. Well, it's funny you say that because I have a calendar for repertory theater on my fridge, this new theater, I think, or program, I think it's called Brain Dead Studios, and they're showing Fire Walk with me. And one of the fun facts on the calendar that I just looked at this morning was for Fire Walk with me, uh, it says something like, when it came out, it was widely panned, but now many consider it David Lynch's best movie. And I said to myself, like who? And now I'm talking to a person who considers it. So I I need to go back and... uh, Check it out. Uh, I mean, I saw it in high school. I remember I liked it, um, but uh, all right, I might have to give that another another look. Yeah, I highly recommend it. It's on HBO, I believe. HBO Max. I'll dig in. Hell yeah, definitely. So, let's talk music. We were doing genre. All right. Um, okay, let's get into it. I like how I. You saw the Woodstock 99 documentary. We all did. And I think we were all a little embarrassed watching that movie. (laughs) How did Uh, you feel about the portrayal of your generation there? (laughs) Uh, Super, yeah, super embarrassed. I guess at first I was like, oh, my friends drove to this Woodstock. And I almost hopped in their car. But then I was like, hold it. No, that was Woodstock 2 they drove to. Because that would have been in high school. I, by this point, I was out of, to date myself again, out of college. Um, so I, I actually kind of felt like my my people 
my Gen Gen Zers were, you know, a, a, just a, a few years before. This, is, it, I mean, it was kind of like the afterglow of, of grunge, right? And everyone was mm-hmm. scrambling around for what the the next thing was. I mean, I was not a, a limp biscuit person, nor any of my friends. I, that was that was definitely I was definitely uh, an almost adult by then. So I, Thank I you actually for knew that. very. Very little about Limp Bizkit. Um, I would have kicked you uh, off this podcast immediately. <laughs> but yeah, I, I found it uh, yeah super depressing. I mean, I knew it was a shit show. I didn't realize to what level it was. Um, and um, yeah, yeah, super, super sad. Um, the Woodstock brand so tainted. But uh, I, I did watch it. Very, very compelled. Um, super interesting. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't like any of my, you know, my heroes were were uh, tainted. Although I guess I was a little, I, I, I would have been nice for the Chili Peppers to come out and, uh, you know, I don't know, pacify the crowd a little bit. Um, I was shocked that Dave Matthews Band didn't pacify anybody. They always come across yeah. as this, like, mellow vibe and, nope, nope, Dave came well, out with you this, know, like, maybe they had the- a, like, puka shell necklace or whatever. And was like speaking titties, and I was like, "What the fuck?" Well, you know, they probably so it was like the Dave Matthews Band probably had a chip on their shoulder. They're like, "All right, we've got to be edgy," because they're not. And then all the crappy edgy bands like Limp Bizkit then have to go overboard. Yeah, it was uh, mm-hmm. it was a perfect storm, a perfect storm. Even Dave Matthews got uh, his toxic masculinity on. Yeah, what a bummer. They probably felt really picked on, I bet. Like, they're probably, like, the loser kid at that show. The DMB? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to use the abbreviation. Have you ever seen uh, them live? Yes. Yep, same I here. did. Actually, they played my, they played my college. So mm. it was a very small venue. I think it was called the Eben Holden uh, Hall. It was, like, kind of a big cafeteria, and they played... And, um, yes, the, uh, whatever the fraternity was that was sponsoring it, this was like a real feather in their cap that they scored Dave Matthews band. I think this was maybe a little bit before they got too big because it wasn't a big venue. Um, Mm -hmm. so I saw them, you know, I mean, I like the, um, is there like a mandolin player? Uh, I, you know, it wasn't like I hated them, um, but, uh, yeah, there's just something grating uh, about uh, his voice and a couple of those songs. Uh, yeah. yeah you know, they're okay. And they're like what? Like, I would describe them as, like, a jam band, right? Like, um, where they go off into these, like, suddenly like, 10-minute, like, off shots into the song. Yes, I think I would too. Although, let me just kind of stand up for some jam bands. Um, you know, I am a Grateful Dead person. I don't know if you've had any Grateful Dead people on the podcast before. I mean, I'm not. I don't a, think it ever occurred to me to ask. I'm, I'm going to add that. <laughs> probably, probably no one. No one's even been in that age range. Uh, I mean, I'm not like a. Uh, you know, touring the U.S. in my VW van. They actually, the Dead and Company, the latest, uh, whatever you would call it, uh, 
dead entity was just in Hollywood playing the Hollywood Bowl. I didn't go, but I thought about it. They play now with with uh, John Mayer plays the Jerry Garcia role. So I have I did see them once like that before, and it, it was all right. But I'm not a big John Mayer fan, so it is kind of it is kind of off-putting to hear his like kind of soft, velvety voice in what used to be singing kind of these songs about like the road and gambling and um, I don't know this kind of like psychedelic hard life lyrics that the Grateful Dead has. That I can like find because um, I can't imagine John Mayer it. playing with them. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I th- and I barely even know what John Mayer is. I just know he's like this pop star. So there were all these kind of younger people there who seemed like they were kind of there for John Mayer. I mean, it was kind of cool. I was like, oh wow, this guy's stepping into this like rock institution and giving it his all and knows all these you know hundreds of songs and his guitar playing was great. So that was. That was kind of cool. I'm sure there's albums and live recordings. I mean, I think he's been doing it for like five or six years, um, maybe a little less. But yeah, I've seen some. I've seen some dead shows. I enjoy. I enjoy a little jam, is what I'm saying. I guess I enjoy a little jam. Maybe n- not necessarily the Dave Matthews j- variety of jam, but uh, yeah, I, 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 I like some guitar noodling for sure. I could get into it, too. I mean, I am going to say I've been to a lot of Dave Matthews Band concerts because I have a lot of Gen X siblings, and for some reason that's a unifying point for them. So I've been dragged to those shows. Okay, okay. Yeah, I I would say I've definitely had secondhand highs from just being there. Uh, A lot of frat boys, seems like. Mm -hmm. Definitely like almost like a tailgating mentality. Do they have that at, like, dead shows? Oh yeah, I mean the tailgate. That was the that was uh, kind of the tailgating and the party atmosphere. Kind of overcame the band, I think, for quite a while. There's a great, I think it's on Amazon, like five part Grateful Dead documentary that I recommend to people, even if you're not a fan of the band, because it was it was just like so interesting because um, they touch so many different pieces of history in the '60s with their acid tests and. Ken Kesey and Tom Wolfe, and, and it also gets just so dark, you know, it's almost like Spinal Tap with how many people in the band had heroin overdoses and, and died, and then once you get to the 80s, this is, this is a lot of dead history, but once you get to the 80s, and they had their, they really had their first, like, pop hit, um, they'd never had a hit before, and then they became so huge, and towns just didn't know what to do when they would roll into town because so many people were, like, following them and traveling and just going from show to show and hanging out in the parking lot and, and selling drugs, doing drugs, that it, it was just, like, this really unruly circus, um, and it kind of became a real, a real mess. But uh, as I remember going to a show or two like that when I was in high school, and they were, you know, super fun, and it felt very, uh, very adult. What was your first concert ever? Um, I mean, I definitely went to some show. I remember going to some shows with my parents that were fun. Like, I think I I went with my mom and uh, my brother to see James Brown. But what my wow. first? Oh well, my first concert. Yeah, but that was like with a parent is different. Oh, I went with like yeah. <laughs> a friend from from school from middle school. Sorry, to see like Billy an Joel. age is now immediately like hitting everyone's head right now. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, James Brown was an old man at this point, but we yeah. were going to see him as like a novelty act. But I, but I mean, not that this, it's, it's not going to get better from there, Mallory. And then in uh, middle school, I went to the Stormfront tour with my friend Eric. This is Billy Joel. Eric and his parents, and I remember I was super excited. I had the T-shirt, and then they passed down some uh, uh, headphones, or not headphones, some, uh, what do you call it, earplugs for us to put in. And I remember just, like, Eric put his in, and I waved it off. I was like, I didn't come to see Billy Joel to get, like, you know hear like half a Billy Joel like I want this I want my eardrums to bleed with, <laughs> with Billy Joel so I refused the I refused the earplugs and the parents like gave me a look like I was a real I felt like a real badass um but I would say my first concert do you do the earplugs now <laughs> no but I'm I'm probably not far off no I just complain about how loud it is uh I saw, you know, I saw Elvis Costello with my brother, with my older brother. So that was really my first because there was no, there was no parent there. And my brother had drank, he's older, drank beer. And I don't know. I don't know if he gave me a beer or not. But that was, yeah. Yeah, I'd say Don't you uh, love how older siblings, they like to corrupt you a little bit? Give you like the beer. Be like, let's just try it. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, they're, you know, he was in charge. Um... I wonder, I can't remember. I feel like I have a memory of him sitting with, like, two ginormous plastic concert beers in his lap. Um, yeah, I feel like I probably got one. But that was, uh, yeah, that was a fun show. And I'm still an Elvis Costello fan, so it, uh, it, it, uh, it took. It took. I dig it. I, I never took you for an Elvis Costello fan, but... Are you, are you being sarcastic? No, it just doesn't uh, like fit I mean, in I my like image glasses. of you. Oh, okay. Yeah, a little okay. bit. Oh, that's good. You know I, actually... is? I think it's because of your writing. You just don't get off okay. give off that vibe. All right, good. I would rather not give off an Elvis Costello vibe because I feel like most writers my age probably do. So if I can be a little off center from that, that's good. <laughs> okay, so like what vibe are you trying to give off then? Or are you trying not, are you not trying or? Uh, I guess maybe I'm just trying to maybe maintain a certain vibe. Probably a vibe started in my thirties. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what that would be. It's probably not. I don't think there's a real, um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> just, just kind of a, a light, have my shit together, uh, you know, clean, um, Writerly vibe, I think. Approachable, fun. I, yeah. I, I think that's. I'd, I'd be happy with that. I mean, I did make, and maybe I should have sent this to you. I don't know how. how uh, I did make a little mix for the book, "The Cult in My Garage." So this would be, and I don't know what your guests usually do, but this would be more of a thematic mix. It wasn't a mix of music that I listened to when I was writing it, because I don't usually listen to music with lyrics. Mm-hmm. When I'm writing, so I wish I could. It would make things a lot easier. Um, but I usually just listen to mu- obviously music without lyrics. So I end up listening to either uh, you know some jazz. I listen to lots of like the like any Trent Reznor soundtrack. Lots of soundtracks actually. All the Explosions in the Sky soundtracks, Panda Bear, Mogwai, uh, and any anything with l- light lyrics or no lyrics. So, but the but the I mix. Feel, mm-hmm. 
Like, we should have given you this option. We did it with one of our other books, Good Grief, where we had a QR code on the back so people could actually um, access a playlist for the book. Oh, okay. No, I think that might have put too much onus on the, the mix, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I, 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 this is more, we'll, we'll put this in the Easter egg category for, you know, the super fans out there, the diehard fans. Um, I'll make sure it's a public, public playlist. We'll give and us I a would rundown. Say, sure, I'll just give you a rundown. I think it, it kind of falls into a few categories. Songs that are either, and bands that are either mentioned in the book or ones that kind of feel uh, thematic to the story, or um, since the book is not totally, but f- somewhat L.A.-centric, kind of classic L.A. songs. So I'll just throw out a few. So something like Rambling Gambling Man, classic Meat and Potatoes Bob Seger rock song, is, I think it's even mentioned by name in the story, um, Good in the Room, for the kind of 50-something-year-old guy when he's, you know, driving down the street. Um, felt like that was very much his vibe. But I think I also have a Kanye song on here because he says that in, in defense of his music taste. That's like his, his one thing that he, he says he, he, he is a hip guy and he lis- even listens to Kanye. So I have a little Kanye song on there. Um, the story we were talking about, Black Car, that has a few Paul Thomas Anderson allusions. I've got some Magnolia songs from that soundtrack, like Goodbye Stranger and One. And then I also put in a couple of pretty heavy uh, industrial metal type songs because there's a moment where the character gets in a car and the, another character's listening to something pretty heavy. So I, when I hear industrial, I always think of like ministry. Um, yeah, and then I have stuff like, uh, you know, X's Los Angeles, The Strangler's Dead Los Angeles, Hooked on Hollywood. Um, as kind of a, a few of my Hollywood favorites, Frank Black's Los Angeles, Screenwriter Blues by Soul Coughing, Los Angelinos by Billy Joel, Hollywood Freaks by Beck, stuff like that in the kind of that L.A. world. And, um, yeah, I'd say that's, uh, you know, that's, that's, kind of a, that's kind of a taste. That's kind of a taste. I know you're a Connor Obst fan. I've got Sleepwalking on here. Um, and I think I just have that on there, unlike a lot of the other songs, because I, I was listening to a lot of Phoebe Bridgers and a lot of that Better Oblivion album during the first pandemic summer, and that was when I was writing the pandemic story, um, uh, Non-Essential Workers. So that and, that and Big Thief were just kind of albums I listened to a lot that summer. You know what? You just redeemed yourself to the Gen Z listeners right there. Oh, okay. Phew. I know. As as I was going through, I was like, wow, this list is pretty, pretty dusty, pretty dusty. But, you know. You just wiped that slate clean. (laughs) (laughs) It's a good playlist, though. Okay, I mean, I don't listen to much, you tell me, I don't listen to much Connor Oaks. I listen to a little, I guess a little, and a little Bright Eyes and his stuff, but for me, that that Better Oblivion album is, like, so great. Like, if I love that album, should I go, am I missing all this great stuff of his that I need to go back to, or or was this something he did with her that you feel like kind of transcended his other stuff? I think it transcended. Okay. Yeah, definitely. It's definitely, you know, I don't know. 
I, I think that's probably one of his best works. Okay. I did see him once. He was part of the Monsters of Folk tour. Um, mm. And, uh, yeah, he was good. I think I was more there for, like, the uh, my morning jacket guy. But mm. um, that was a fun show. So your playlist, is it on Spotify or...? It is on Spotify. Uh, it's just the same title of the book, The Cult in My Garage. And, um, yeah, I think it's, uh, it's hours of fun. I'm, again, happy that you're a Spotify person. I've had a few people on here who do Apple playlists, and I'm just like, I don't know anyone who uses Apple music or whatever that is. Um, either do I. Not a fan. Very into Spotify. I'm in a, uh, it's one of my many pandemic clubs that has continued. I'm in a music league. And every week we pick a theme and uh, make a Spotify playlist. Everyone anonymously, like, submits a song under that theme. And then we vote on who's, um, you know, whose song is best. And all those songs are on Spotify. And that's, like, almost all I listen to now is our uh, Silly Music League's playlists. <laughs> what is your most recently fan. listened to song? I'm looking at mine, and I'm just like, okay, I need to see yours first. Oh, let me see. I never, I never end up doing that because they're all, they're all kind of boring. I'm, I mean, I'm almost guarantee it's something from uh, the Social Network uh, <laughs> soundtrack because I listen to these soundtracks over and over again while I write. Um, yeah. Not in, entirely sure. Mine is problematic from Bo Burnham, so believe oh, okay. me, it can't be worse. I, I see that. I love that special. I thought it was great. Um, I thought it was super catchy. Then after that, it's just a weird mixture of what could our first dance be as a couple songs. So. Oh, yeah, let's, let's hear it. What do we got? What's in the, in see, the mix? See, I'm, I'm in the Father John Misty range and mm -hmm. my boyfriend okay. or fiance i'm still getting used to it he wants taylor swift i know you wouldn't think it would be yeah. that way but whatever he wants lover and i'm just like oh i do not want the first dance i do as a married couple to eat taylor swift i don't know if i could do that so and i mean obviously it's it's a marriage so it's a compromise is he how opposed is he to father john misty well, he really liked the idea until we really started like looking into the lyrics, and he's like, these are some pretty dirty lyrics. And I was like, damn, you know, I guess I never really thought about that. He's like, I can't have my parents listening to these lyrics. And I was like, yeah, that's true. Right. I guess I don't want my overly Catholic parents listening to that shit. <laughs> I don't want my overly Catholic parents reading this book. Uh, yeah, you know, that's good. It'll be a good exercise and compromise. I mean, what's there's got to be some middle ground artists that you both listen to. You know, we definitely are having, like, I think this is our first, like, close to married person, like, actual fight. We just can't figure it out. I think we've decided on Taylor Swift's cover of September by Earth, Wind, and Fire. But okay. I like that. Maybe. It's all right. Um, this is how you know that my boyfriend is a very big Taylor Swift fan. Um, she changes the date in September from 21st in September to the 28th in September because that has something to do with her and her fiancé. 
my boyfriend planned originally to propose to me on that day. Is that weird? Wow. Or that is a super fan right there. <laughs> and I fucked it up because um, I apparently was in a bitchy mood that day. So. Uh, so he, he just didn't do it that day. Can't propose to somebody who's annoying you. Right. Yeah. We had just gotten off of like a 12-hour plane ride. Why propose to somebody when they're, like, that exhausted and angry and have been wearing a mask that long on an airplane? Like, not a good right, day. Right, right. Okay, so would he, he waited one day, or how many, how many days does it take for the bad mood to lift? You know, it's actually, that's my favorite part of the story. And it's funny, he's like, you have to stop saying the exact way I proposed. And I was like, okay, I'll stop saying the exact way you proposed. But... What he then was originally going to shoot for was when we went to the Parthenon, but then that was a really insanely windy day, but we were in good mm. moods. But then he tried the day after, and then, again, bitchy mood. He actually even got in a fight, like, I want to say, like, 15 minutes before the proposal happened. <laughs> so, oh, wow. yay. That, that, that bitchy mood never subsided from me, no. <laughs> Although it was a great trip, in my mind. We just kept hitting these weird snags. Well, traveling with someone is hard. And the fact that you did it, what sounds like a big trip and, and, you know, didn't kill each other. I mean, that sounds like um, you're ready. I think. We've been together for 10 years. We haven't killed each other yet. So I feel like we're safe and ready to go. I mean, I actually was like, I don't want to deal with my family. Let's just elope here and be like, surprise, we're married, but... No, I guess we're going to have to do an actual wedding, which is going to be hard. Because he's Turkish, Muslim. He doesn't believe in God, just like me. But, you know, blending of cultures, always a difficulty. And do you know when this will happen? I'm not angling for an invite. I'm just asking. (laughs) You know, I actually really wish I could invite, like, a lot of the writers and everything I know. Just because, like, I want my family to see that side of me. Yeah. (laughs) But... I'd like autumn, but obviously most people say I'd need more time. Like doing next fall would be too soon. I don't know. I have to talk to my mom more about it. We're having family issues. Okay. okay. Well, I'm very invested in what the song will be, so I hope you will, uh, yeah, announce that publicly. Uh, I definitely want to hear. I used to have a job as a very, very, very briefly as a wedding DJ. And, uh, Ooh, we one of should the, invite you. <laughs> one, well, I don't think I was very good. And one of the, uh, more difficult things was the, the couples would give you a, they often give you, you know, they give you songs they want to play, but they'd also give you sometimes a, uh, a song of like, like, don't play this. And it'd usually be like a song that was popular at the time that was kind of hacky. They didn't want to hear. And this one wedding, I remember, it was only one song on the Don't Playlist. It was the song Elvira, which I don't know if you remember, and I don't want to sing it, but not a popular song. I think it's from the 70s, and it's kind of like a country western. I was like, that's so random. Like, why, why, would they, why would I ever play Elvira, and why would they put this on there? Anyway, a few hours into the wedding, the, this drunk uncle came up, and I realized why, because he was so hot to hear Elvira. And he was, like, harassing me the whole wedding and was convinced that I had it and wasn't playing it. And I, I think he had some dance moves that he does to it. So it was a real challenge to kind of, uh, yeah, throw, throw wet. We have one uh, of those, too. Oh, okay. What's, what's the song and who's the relative? 
Moni Moni, and it would be my dad. Um, he likes to okay. show off that he could do the splits while doing that mm. song. Although I'm not sure he totally could these days. Um, but yeah, I, I refuse. I even told my mom that I refuse, and she's like, all your other siblings did this, and I'm like, I don't give a fuck. Oh, you don't want to give dad the spotlight? Oh, hell to the no. As a, as a millennial, do you have music you want to pass on to me as an elder and like be like, why aren't you listening to this? Because I would love that. You know, I've actually been listening to a lot of Gen Z shit lately. Okay. Do you do any Lil Nas? Uh, not enough. Not enough. I do yeah, a little Yeah, we definitely put him Nas, on the playlist so, for a okay. wedding because we want right. to do the music video and just shock the shit out of all the baby boomers who are there. Okay. Just disturb them. I hate that that's actually a goal in my life is just to piss people off. I mean, it is nice to get people out of their shell, especially relatives. There's just something about that, that they're the ones that are just too comfortable. Um, yeah, they need that. They need, they need that from us. Yeah, we need to jolt them just a little bit. Yeah. And I'm the child in this family to do it. The rest give in. They're like, you know, we'll, we'll play all the weird shit. And I'm just like, no, I'm me. I, I can't sacrifice who I am. So I'm going to play Lil Nas and then a disturbing amount of Stevie Nicks. Okay. All right. Well, I am certainly a Stevie Nicks fan. Uh, I think there's one Fleetwood Mac song on the, on the mix um, that goes a little bit with the um, Revenge App story. Okay. Nice. I would say the most recently played and one of my favorite musicians, it's kind of overrated, Bleachers. I like Jack Antonoff. How about you? Uh, I do, too. I don't know. I, I still think of him as like Lena Dunham's boyfriend, ex-boyfriend. I don't know that much. That's her ex-boyfriend, right? Yeah. Okay. I think she just uh, got married herself. Oh, really? Okay. I'm so off the Lena gossip train. Who'd she marry? I don't know, some random musician right. that nobody cares about. Okay, ouch. Um, I used to be a big defender. Now I just kind of bite my tongue. Oh, you she, like Lena? She crossed a, I, I do. I mean, I remember seeing her movie and being like, this movie's great. And then I really enjoyed oh, Girls. Oh, I like Tiny Furniture. Yeah. I, I mean, I, girls, I, she, like, annoyed me. Okay. I, I, still, I still liked Girls. I mean, it... it um, yeah, I still really liked girls. And then uh, and then even when she kind of was always putting her foot in her mouth, I'm like, well, you know, she's just she's uh, you know, she's just being unfiltered. But then she she crossed a line for even me. And and uh, yeah, I've been a been a little disappointed. But um, what Maybe I'm sure she'll, she'll grow up. I'm sure she will. I'm, and I'm sure she's will do other, so many great things. I think she's, I still think she's very, very smart, very talented. She is a great creator. She is working on something right now. I just keep forgetting. But yeah, Bleachers, I recommend Jack Antonoff okay. is, in my opinion, a genius songwriter. And I just went to a concert of his. It sucked, but it wasn't his fault. Oh, all right. Well, I'm going to get into that today. What, uh, why did it suck? Um, we got there late, which means we actually showed up at, on time. 
but you know, COVID times, you have to get the temperature, get your uh, ID checked and everything, make sure you're vaccinated, shit like that. So like there's right. an insane line to get in there and are they doing that in LA? Um, I don't know. I haven't been to a big show yet. Um, I've been to just, um, you know, small bar bands. And yeah, actually, I guess at, at one of them, I had to show my vaccination card. At another, I didn't. I mean, I'm always ready to show it. Um, I don't know what it's like if you go to like the Greek or the Hollywood Bowl or the big venues here. Um, I might to go to something mask? called Desert. Uh, well, if you have a beer in your hand and you're drinking, not really. Um, I was going to say, that's the license to take your mask off is everybody got a beer. It is. If you're stuffing your face with popcorn at the movie or you're drinking a beer at a concert, you're all good. And I'm usually doing both. So, um, yeah, I can kind of do what I want. So, yeah, I haven't returned for a big concert yet, but maybe there's something called Desert Days that's coming up in a week and a half. Uh, I I can't do a three-day music festival but i might pick a day and go um otherwise yeah i haven't i haven't been to a big show in a while i was supposed to go to riot fest in early september but the top band that was going to be there pulled out my chemical romance and it's because i never got a chance to see them they're really big in high school for me but um Mm -hmm. my parents wouldn't let me go uh wouldn't let you go to specifically them or okay Right. Yeah. Right. And by the time I was able to go see them on my own, they had broken up. So. Okay. Yeah, I didn't have that problem with Billy Joel. <laughs> no, I feel like everyone's like, "Oh, he's clean cut. You can go see that." Yeah. Even the Grateful. Well, actually, they didn't like me going to the Grateful Dead shows. I guess. I don't know how much they really knew. Um, yeah, dug into my my concert concert tastes. Um, but yeah. yeah, it was basically every other band that was at Riot Fest. I was like, I've seen them. I've seen them all. <laughs> like Smashing Pumpkins and shit like that. Weezer was oh. there, I believe. Oh, fun. Um, yeah, and so that's why I was going to say I won't pick on your Gen X love. I've seen them all. <laughs> I know. I was going to say, like Smashing Pumpkins and Weezer, you're, you are, those aren't on the Cult in My Garage playlist, but those could easily be so yeah you're you're definitely dipping a toe into uh into my people uh all right so what's the plan for my chemical romance um they're supposedly gonna come back next year because i don't know they decided not to do it this year probably because of covid and obviously they were gonna do it last year and then covid really hit so i i don't have faith that they're gonna make it that long (laughs) To right. be like, okay, we're definitely on good terms with each other for next year, so maybe I'll just never see them. Um, you said, so your siblings are Gen X. My siblings are uh, 10 years older than me, so I don't even know what the, I guess they're baby boomers? Is that what's above Gen yeah. X? Wow. Yeah, that, that would be baby boomers. Okay. Wow. Yeah. I mean, when I was a kid, my brother used to uh, noogie me if I didn't know if I couldn't name all the members of like Led Zeppelin and U2. So that was what was like above me. Yep. Yep. Yeah. That'd be like young baby boomers. Mm-hmm. Young boomers. As long wow. as they don't act like boomers. I don't know. Like the stereotypical boomers. Or do they? Um, 
I don't think they do. When I think boomers, I think of like <laughs> the big chill. So yeah, <laughs> I, I don't think they're too, they're not too boomy. No. All right. All right. I can feel that. That's chill. So I'm looking at your short story, Quebec, um, on Juked. Is it any different okay. on there? It is different. It is different. I would not want anyone to think that these stories were not rigorously rewritten before they came into book form. So um, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. There's certainly <clears throat> there's stuff about the female character's um, backstory and her father that's not in the juke. I think the ending is all different. The fact that he's living in New York and there was something that seemed interesting about it being like the dead of winter. Uh, all that stuff is... Uh, is new, so I think it's a a better story. So if you, you one of the thousands who read it on Juked, you know, it, you might have to just uh, listen to yeah, it again. You might just have to buy Colt in my garage. I, I certainly have no bias here, nothing to gain at all. No, but I do have to point out. I think it's really funny that the male protagonists of all your stories are really pervy. What the fuck? Are, they're are they? always accused of being these kind of like seedy guys, but like in a way, I always kind of, I don't know, would you describe them as like blase attitude, ambivalent? They just don't seem to like care about other people's feelings so much. Or maybe they just don't understand them. Um, yeah, I would say there is kind of a, um, a, a jaded um, voice. Uh, an attitude in a lot of the, yeah, white white males in here. I, I wouldn't think of them as too pervy. I mean, or maybe maybe <laughs> they are. I don't know. I feel like most people are. When once you get into the nitty gritty, yeah. are a little pervy. Um, but yeah, I, I certainly would say. Uh, hopefully not. It's not uh, uh, <clears throat> too too much of it in the book. But yeah, I would certainly say there's like a kind of a, a, a jadedness, a protective ambivalence um maybe a little a little little coldness to a, a lot of the guys mm -hmm. in here um but this guy in this story and i can launch into it and read it i don't know i feel like he's a little more maybe a little more vulnerable all right the story's called uh, quebec i hadn't been out of my apartment much that winter when i met her at a party i'm not exactly a party person and was busy busying myself finding a cracker or anything to leverage some dip with when she said to stop staring at her <laughs> she had a witch's laugh. I'm screwing with you. Stare all you want, she said. Me? I had made myself go to the party, but forgotten to prepare myself for talking to people. She told me I probably recognized her from the commercial where she played the girl on the bus with the headphones on, eating a submarine sandwich. She did a little dance and mimed eating an impossibly huge sandwich. Can you imagine someone actually doing that, she said? Who writes that shit? By now, I'd assume she was talking to me because there was no one else in the hall. Her chapped lips were circled with holiday punch, and her tumbleweed hair was held in place by one strained strand tucked behind her little ear. She took my phone and followed a handful of accounts on Instagram that she said I would find repulsive, but in a fun way. One was a septuagenarian porn star with a plastic surgery addiction, another a toothless collector of botched taxidermy, plus an obese woman bottle feeding her possum. Instagram must have taken down the photo where she's breastfeeding that giant rat, she said, disappointed, scrolling. 
I never found that cracker, but on the subway ride home from the party, I unfollowed all those unfortunate people except for the girl. She had used my phone to follow herself, which I thought was a clever and forward way to connect us, and who was I not to reach out and ask if I could buy her a beer? On our first date, she had me sit on the couch with her and run lines for a big audition for another sandwich spot. I'm getting typecast because I can open my jaw wide, she said, and stuck a soft foot in my face. She complimented my line readings and filled her mason jars with red wine and told me this would only take a couple hours. And don't think I don't know what you're thinking right now, she said, another crazy fucking actress. She never sat still and took pride in calling herself out on all the things, uh, on, on, on things before anyone else could. I know my laugh is over the top, so stop looking at me like you want to kill me. Or, don't think I don't remember that I said I was only going to have one drink at dinner. Or, just because I have X amount of cats doesn't make me a cat lady. We would sit down to eat a dinner she destroyed her kitchen in the process of making. Before I could even try it, she'd shove a bite in her mouth and proclaim it a disaster. Don't eat that! She'd hustle the plate out from under my fork with beet-stained hands, toss the entire dish in the garbage like it was rat poison, and tell me to open another bottle of wine. I'd do as I was told, curious to see what would happen next. The first time she came with me, she threw me off her, darted out of the bedroom, and returned seconds later in a turtleneck and sweats, crunching through a bowl of cartoon cereal like she'd been binging a TV show. Oh, what? She said. So now I'm the selfish lover? She accused me through a mouthful of purple cereal. Oh, God, that word, she said. Lover. Gross, gross, gross. She called me perv boy when I kissed her and judgy judge if I didn't say anything and Mr. Scratchy Beard when she'd introduce me to people. She had a funky tattoo on her shoulder that looked like a cross between a turd and Mr. Potato Head. It's a turd, she snapped when I asked, then shook her head at me. Come on, who's ever heard of a turd with eyeballs? One time in bed, she told me my penis lolled one side like her boyfriend's in Quebec. His is a little bigger, though, she added. This time, I may have looked at her a little like I wanted to kill her. I'm kidding, she screamed and did her witch's laugh. You should have seen your face. Then she thrust her tumbleweed of hair into the crook of my arm and explained she made dumb jokes like that when she was afraid and liked someone. I kissed her purple-stained mouth. Oh, perv boy. She told me I had negative thinking patterns as well as antisocial tendencies and was always loaning me self-help books and demanding them back if I hadn't read them the next day. Out in public, she accused me of flirting with anyone, any woman that talked to me. Who, that woman with the clipboard, I'd ask? She blamed her jealousy on her OCD, which didn't make much sense if you saw her bathroom. I'd tell her she was the only weirdo for me, and she'd say, I make the jokes around here. She cranked Fox News up loud and yelled at me that she was learning how the enemy thought and that I needed to get out of my bubble. She was vegan unless it was after midnight on a weekend. Then she'd howl drunkenly for pepperoni pizza. I know, but how many cows did you save this week? She'd say. She had a crush on Bella Lugosi and was endlessly disappointed that my hair, no matter how she positioned it, didn't have a widow's peak. Before I could decide if something bothered me, she'd already accused me of resenting her for it, throwing up her hands as if to say that was just who she was, then lasso her bony arms around me and lick my face like a dog and ask if I could still stomach the sight of her for even one second longer. I could. We sometimes fought for hours, broke up, and get back together without me uttering a word. I thought about the nature show I used to watch as a kid about birding, how patience and no sudden movements for hours could yield such beauty and flashes of joy. 
It's not a turd. It's one of the California raisins. You know the raisins from the 80s songs, or from the 80s who sang Motown songs, she said, late one night, sitting on the side of the bed in the dark. My dad loved them. Like the cartoons, I was half asleep, or uh, claymation. The last thing he said to me was to sing the California Raisin song. Uh, they were his favorite band. She had her back toward me, and, reached, and I reached up and rubbed it. I don't even think he knew who I was at that point, she said. Eventually, she stopped throwing me off her to get cereal after she came, and I'd gratefully wrap up my side of things lickety-split. If I saw her staring at me jealously at a party or drugstore, I'd let my jaw go slack and roll my eyes back until whatever female was talking to me hurried away in embarrassment. That made her laugh. I'd pick up a bag of tacos on my way home to the apartment, hiding them in my coat pocket and pretending to find them like magic after she flung our dinner away. When she stole, told me to stop looking at her like I wanted to kill her, I'd roll on top of her and smother her with a pillow. Are you dead yet, baby? I'd ask, then lift the pillow up. Her face would be red, mostly with laughter. I'd do this over and over, tickling her and kissing her face before clamping the pillow over it again. Dead yet, baby? I became mostly vegan, too, and even watched Fox News ironically with her. What a holiday for myself it was to be the normal one for once. She flew off one day for a commercial shoot in Los Angeles, this one for double cheeseburgers. She said that was a step up from sub sandwiches. We exchanged pet memes over text daily, and one night she left a message of her singing American Girl at a karaoke bar, but she was substituting in the words, Perv Boy. Later in the week, I noticed on her Instagram that she was in Quebec. She was cooking dinner in a beautiful apartment with brick walls and hanging plants, her hands red with beet juice. You know, my boyfriend, she said when I asked her over the phone about who took the picture. I said I was confused, and she explained in an exasperated tone that she told me all about her boyfriend. You said you were kidding, I answered. I was kidding about him having a bigger penis. Who would say something like that? Like I would actually measure anyway. Why do you think I'm always wearing a beret? She did her witch's laugh. I know, I need a new laugh. Did you read the Eckhart Tolle book I gave you yet? Otherwise, can you send it to me? I didn't make a big deal about it, but we didn't really talk after that. I went back to not leaving my apartment and ran her joke over and over in my mind. I wondered if he had a widow's peak. I found the old nature show about birders online and rewatched my favorite episodes repeatedly. I went to read the Eckhart Tolle book, but didn't want, I wanted to read the Eckhart Tolle book, but didn't want to give her the satisfaction, so I dropped it with no envelope in a mailbox I slunk by one afternoon. The book landed with a surprisingly loud thud. Apparently, there were no letters to soften its fall. Much later, winter again, I slowed down, realizing I was passing by that same mailbox. I stood there and shivered, wondering if the book was still there, untouched at the bottom. And mic drop. Boom. Well, is there anything else you'd like to share with us before we wrap it up? I don't think so. I think, uh, you know, I think we did some good work. We really got into it. Uh, I hope you feel the same way. Um, I'm excited about your, uh, your nuptials. Um, <laughs> that was fun reading the story. I, re I read it out loud last week at uh, Stories out here in L.A., and that was really fun. Um, I mean, I chose it both times because it's the shortest story. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, people seem to like it. And, um, yeah, this was a real treat.
All right, that was Duncan Birmingham. Check out his work that we spoke about in the show. Also take a look at Neutral Spaces or Wikipedia to see more of his stuff. You can find him on Twitter, at Duncan Berm. As always, if you want to get to know us more, find Textual Healing on Twitter, at Pod Healing, and take a look at our website, textualpodcast.com. We are available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show.